Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about Web3. And by now, hopefully you've heard what Web3 is, but you might not really know what Web3 is. And that's exactly what this conversation is about. It really talks about how Web3 is more than tech bro marketing of Bitcoin that there actually is real, legitimate business, interest, internet around Web3, uh, breaking the log jams where a s- small number of providers are actually controlling and running the internet, or looking at ways to decentralize infrastructure and remove uh, bottlenecks within how transactions are flowing. Uh, and I was really surprised when I, when I heard this conversation, just how much of the evolution of the internet is captured in what Web3 could be. Now, whether it is that or not will be a lesson to the listener. And know you will enjoy this discussion. We had, we had set up to talk about Web3, sort of the real or not discussion. Um, Rob, if and, you pitch NFT yeah. in this, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I'm a web I'm a web I'm a web three skeptic, so don't there's no there's no pitching on, on my but I'm I'm interested to see what how people think they um these pieces come about. Um you know, but the thing that got me interested and, and wanted to put it back on the, the calendar is there's a big part of this decentralized uh economy that is behind web three talking. Um, And for this group, we talk about decentralized, more distributed, less, you know, sort of, you know, breaking the monopolistic or duopolies um, a lot. And so I was curious on what people know about Web3 and, you know, is this a real, a real trend? Yes. I, I, I recently <laughs> had a, a very heated discussion on, on this topic, so um, I, I'll, I'll just uh, provide my my, my notes on, on that. Um, it it is a very controversial controversial topic because in its current iteration, it is very closely tied to uh, the blockchains, and particularly cryptocurrencies and, and NFTs, uh, and and those, in my opinion, are a dead end. Uh, but the concept of Web3, what what it aims to do, like if we consider Web3 as just distributed computing tied to uh, to DLT, to like decentralized ledger technology, that has a lot of potential, particularly in my opinion, in in, in the edge, um, like being able to offload. Uh, compute, being able to bring the compute closer to, to where the data is and being able to make the data, to treat the data as eventually consistent as opposed to always consistent. Because we, we've talked about this before, where like with, with, with bad sensor inputs and things like that. Uh, so that's where I think Web3 should go. End of cliff notes. <laughs> so we I also did a, uh, had a couple of robust discussions around the topic. One with uh, I think his name Dave Ronchak. He helps lead the IPFS project in a planetary file system. So pretty much in line with what you're saying. 
you know, this idea of, you know, what do you do with the exabytes of available spare uh, data available over really uh, at, at relatively high connection speeds to, you know, the internet and all of that idle compute. So, you know, taking Fold at home or uh, all these other projects to the next level of being able to make, you know, distributed cloud computing a reality and having DLT, uh, uh, deteriorated leisure technologies available uh, and for general purpose use is fascinating from a technology perspective. I've been, you know, ever since Google announced that they were going to do fiber at, you know, uh, at home eight, nine, 10 years ago, you know, I kind of envisioned this as a possible use case. And I think that, I, I think that, I think that has legs to it. I just wish that it wasn't, you know, covered up by the hype of, you know, cryptocurrency, which is, you know, less NFTs in themselves and crypto cryptocurrency, which is, you know, kind of drowning out, I think, the more realistic and practical use cases. There's, I'd add that um, at least um, with three, um, I believe they're B and C investments, um, BC or have just announced over the last week, almost a billion in, in investment in three, uh, not crypto, but Ethereum back, I believe they all, they're various parts of web three, but they're all web three related uh, organizations. But, um, but the, I, I believe that the real interesting part of this is that their support of Ethereum side chains, um, basically plasma, plasma, plasma networks, which basically takes it off the main line um, and uh, makes it so that they can do new inventive things without having to, well, do new inventive things with distributed ledgers. So the, there's certainly, uh, the VC, um, some of the big ones, um, certainly believe it's something real. I mean, they're putting their money where their mouth is. So, yeah, it, it's not just VCs; it's also banks. Like the, the, the partic particularly yeah. when it comes to securities trading, Sec like the current iteration, like the like the way securities trading is trying right now, is hardly inefficient. Like signatures need to go back and forth. Like it takes days to even like like purchase a, a home. Uh, and, and and this is where 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 a lot of the blockchain uh, specific development that is really interesting is happening. It is in optimizing that process, and there's a lot of big money wanting to optimize that as well because it means that they can they can transfer they can handle more transactions, which means they get a bigger cut of of everything, even if they charge smaller fees. Yeah, but it's not just that part of banking that or real estate transactions that's getting involved. If you think back a few years ago, when IBM first did the Hyperledger project, right? They started creating the decentralized capabilities for the US government, for uh, big associations in shipping and logistics. There's a lot of blockchain stuff that they did then that was much more based on decentralized ledger than anything even crypto-like. But the latest and greatest from the uh, let's not lose it over NFTs is massively adopting adopt no massive adoption tokens, which are fractional capabilities of investing in any asset that is tangible. So it could be think about royalties to a songwriter, 
or to a performer or artwork or wines. You're not dealing with the provenance so much as you are dealing with the ability for the everyday consumer to buy part of an asset or a full asset at a much lower cost with no gas coming out of that transaction. So this notion of MAT has a lot of people in the blockchain community uh, very excited because they see it as a way to mainstream cryptocurrency in a more acceptable format without the risk, without the sort of volatility that the markets currently have. Put that together with areas where you have the SEC coming in and telling Ripple, no, you really didn't you know, mislead investors. And you do have a good banking system there and you have threatened SWIFT in a significant way. So all these things are very real. The how-to and the application for enterprise use, for supply chain, for CRM, for sales and marketing, getting closer to their customers. There's a lot of applications to that. And the technologies that are evolving around them are far more secure than the level one blockchains are now. They're not necessarily side chains, but there's also a dimension of parallelism that's coming into it. So parallel chains that then connect to each other, uh, interchain protocols, uh, layers of protocols. And now that Ethereum is definitely, you know, has to make its move uh, there's a lot of applications that are moving off the original ecosystems and moving into the newer ecosystems that are designed for utility and speed, not designed for let's break you know everything all in one. Solana is one, Pardo is another. There's a list. I just got a, a, a thing that I'll try and post on the um, Cloud 2030. It's 178 pages of charts about the VC investments, where they're investing, what they're investing in, who's leading, who's following, and it's geographically international. So anything you want is part of that document. And uh, some of it we put together, other it was created by other people, but it's it's unbelievable to see where the money is flowing. And yeah, a lot of that going to go into the backbone. What's the source of the document? Uh, CD Insights did some of it. We did some of it. Other people did other parts of it. But it's basically very interesting to track because if you look at where all the developments are, are ebbing out of, they're all A, ecosystem. B, they all need infrastructure and networking behind them. And the ones that are the considered high growth, like this notion of massively adopted tokens, is where... Uh, the VCs are starting to look, but more in line with where the banks are starting to look, because to them, this is a consumer product play. So think of companies like Wealthsimple or, you know, some of the other big um, online trading buyer, lender, seller kind of thing. So you could use it for 100 people get together and buy a home. That's a fractional, uh, massively adopted token. And the token is the asset itself, but you can buy a fractional portion of it for investment purposes. Uh, or is this similar to DAOs? The, um, the, I'm trying to remember what DAOs, it's a distributed, um, basically it's a distributed crypto based. It's an organization. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but this is more along the line of DAPs, where what's well, behind guess- it is the DAO and some form of payment, whether it's crypto or fiat. I guess the argument is there's, and this is where the Web2 guys are coming in. The argument is that solutions for this already exist. If I wanted to buy, if I wanted to buy a fractional property, because there still has to be the legal mechanism to represent ownership. Sure, I can trade in a token, but something the government still, someone still needs to go to a title place. Blah 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 blah. It's much easier just to form an LLC and give stocks and and give and give stocks in the LLC than it is to recreate a system to represent ownership. And I, that's the part that when we get into like other than like cloud compute resources, when you get into changing or abstracting the way that we use currency. We're, it seems like we're just recreating a already centralized system. I would argue strongly against that because you can build the DAP on top of the chain for the fractional investment and then automate through smart contract, the land transfer title, the notarization, all of the accoutrements that go with buying a property. And yeah, you can't that, do that now. Doesn't that go against the grain of non it still becomes centralized like the government is still the central authority that that records the ownership of property so we're saying that we want to use technology and i haven't seen a great example in the past 30 40 years where technology has really moved the government into changing their processes so we want a government entity across the world to change their processes to adopt smart contracts to support a technology. I, I, I just don't see it happening. Keith, if I, if I could jump in on top of that, um, a lot of the processes the government puts in place is for consumer protection. So when, you, when it takes time to buy a property and you have to read through a bunch of things, or at least you're supposed to read through a bunch of things and understand what you're actually doing, you're taking on debt, you're you know signing a mortgage, all these things are there in part to protect you as the consumer. Uh, if we're talking about shifting that away to a bunch of smart contracts, and then I just have this fractional token and I don't necessarily understand what it's doing and the protection and the government protections aren't there, then there's a really high chance of the consumer getting burned on this. And so that's, if we're going to move in that direction, we need some sort of regulation to follow with us. Yeah, there is an, another thing, uh, Keith, uh, that um, securities trades don't necessarily happen within the same governmental jurisdiction. And when they cross borders, that's when it becomes difficult. And this, and that is what uh, the DAPs uh, address. Not not necessarily the, the, the easy transfer within one jurisdiction, but but crossing borders where one government does not trust the other government to to always keep the the data accurate. By decentralizing the information, by providing a shared control over it, it addresses that matter of trust. And, and trust is a very, very big element of Web3. 
Right, but the government's still going to be the source of truth. They're, I mean, of who owns a property, even if they're lying, they're, you know, the source of truth, regardless of what the smart contracts say, un, until and unless it goes to court. Right. So the whole regulation thing, regulation would have to catch up with this and and governments move a hell of a lot slower than than technology. Um, And then the question comes up about and this is what I've been seeing. uh, Kelsey Hightower is investigated 3.0 and he says he's a 2.5 guy. Uh, but <laughs> he he looks at this and uh, a number of folks have looked at it. And at the moment, smart contracts are only as smart as the, the coders. And there are a lot of coders who aren't very smart that are currently getting into it. So you need really smart coders to build really secure smart contracts and really secure tokens. Uh and part of this might be because it's such a nation uh, state right now. But for instance, when a bunch of folks got together to buy a piece of artwork at, at auction and they lost the bid, there was no way for anybody to disentangle their contribution to the the pile of Bitcoin that was going to be used to purchase it. So somebody is sitting on something along the lines of, what is it, uh, almost a million dollars worth of Bitcoin that was collected by small uh, a lot of individuals on a small contribution. And those individuals can't get their contribution back. But somebody's got that on uh, a million dollars sitting out there because the artwork didn't they didn't get it so there's there's a lot of holes that need to be filled and as ned said there's a lot of regulation that has to go in around it from all the various governments to make it more secure and and until then you've got lots of lots of people doing pump and dump and lots of people uh doing uh other things it's pretty much wild wild west and there's good and bad there's money laundering and whatnot going on uh but the governments are moving more quickly for the money laundering stuff and for at least the thefts uh there's just 3.6 million in bitcoin clawed back by the government from two individuals who had actually essentially robbed one of the uh the exchanges exchanges yeah but I mean, there, there's no doubt governments can move very quickly when tax revenue is at stake, right? Or when there's clear criminal activity. Um, or a threat to their currency. <laughs> or a threat to their, I mean, they, they, they're, it's, they're, they're, they're intentionally slow, which is, I think, a good thing at times. But when, when tax revenue or uh, currency or crime is, is in place, they, they do typically step, step in. Um, it depends on how big the whale is. They, they 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 tend to not touch the bigger whales because it's too expensive to to litigate with them. 
over the next couple of years, I would be very surprised because uh, there's been a lot of discussion about it by at least U.S. public officials about revising data privacy and transparency laws and regulations to intentionally uh, curtail some of the worst successes of um, different cryptocurrencies. So at the very least, it's going to be disruptive to the industry, if not downright, you know, um, regressive. Because you know, federal government's going to get involved in the U.S. Guaranteed. But but, ho- but hold on, because I mean, we've we've gotten we've gotten very into the sort of the crypto blockchain piece for this, um, which is which is about you know sort of getting around the big players or around the controls, which is where we which is sort of where we got to right talking about people using crypto to bypass government regulations, taxation, um, laws, criminal enterprises, things like that, um, which, which I think we've seen for a long time. Is there also a component here of getting around the, you know, the big commercial monopolies of, you know, going back to the way web was intended to be distributed and, that's what it appealed to me before. Well, and that's where other folks are saying the tendency to centralize is extremely strong, especially with mm. the people who have the finances to move this along. And so what a lot of folks are saying that that uh, Web3, uh, you're still stuck with Google. Amazon and these others, and is that okay, or is that not okay? And that's another aspect where, and I think Joanne would say that the banks don't care because the banks can put their their decentralized wherever they have the capability, but the freedom and uh, privacy and all those other folks that are doing it for an idealistic purpose are going to say, well, hold on a second. We don't want this to all centralize on the big players again. So to the banks, yeah, the system is fine. So I'm sorry, Ned did an excellent podcast on, they released a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago. Now, Ned, I don't, I don't want to, you're closer to the source than I am, but can you break down again what like the financial services companies are doing in response to kind of Web3? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so we talked to this guy, Josh Neuroth, that works for Anchor, and they're basically doing hosting for various, you know, blockchain web three technology. So they'll stand up bare metal host for you, get, you know, the appropriate blockchain loaded on it, you know, what Solana, Ethereum, whatever. They have open RFPs with all of the Fortune 50s and all most of the major financial institutions. Uh, they're all definitely looking into this technology. Um, and the question of centralization and you know a rebirth of the original intent of the web i think as long as the focus of this technology is to monetize things then that is going to attract people who have a lot of money and those people who have a lot of money can afford to run the relatively expensive 
hardware that's required for this technology. And so you're still going to have a centralization effect, even if it's um, even if it's consolidated in a different way. I think that consolidation is going to happen because monetization is the goal. If we make the goal something else like folding at home, Keith, you gave that example. People who do folding at home aren't doing it to earn money. They're doing it to donate extra compute cycles. If that's the motivation instead, then I think we can reach more of a decentralized uh, format for these technologies. But as long as money's at the center, you're going to attract the folks with lots and lots of money. Is that because the utility right now is predominantly printing money? I mean, the way that... The main reasons that I have observed people using blockchain technologies is for like cryptocurrency and NFTs. And that is very, or trying to make everything into a commodity. So it's all like either monetizing things that couldn't be monetized before, making up things out of, uh, you know, thin air or, uh, you know, deeply financial related technologies. So who's that going to attract? It's not going to attract, you know, the, your, uh, I don't know, the, the regular person off the street, it's going to attract the major financial institutions. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of grifters who are looking to make a quick buck. So I only have, so I, I'm only using 25% of my allotted power in my data center colo contract. And I keep thinking about ways to optimize that. And to your point, Ned, how to monetize things I can't necessarily monetize. And I'm thinking, you know what? I, I have uh, I have a half a dozen Intel servers sitting in a data center uh, at five percent utilization, and I'm and I'm not using nearly as much of my allotted power that I'm paying for. There's this sunk cost, so there's incentive for me to add blockchain, to add nodes to a blockchain to do proof of work, even though from a you know dollar to kilowatt perspective, it's not profitable. But I have this sunk cost. Why not make a couple of bucks? That's my only, beyond my fold at home nodes that I have running in a data center, that's my only incentive to participate in a blockchain. Yeah, I guess if you have like a reserved instance in uh, in Amazon that's sitting idle, then throwing some, you know, uh, throwing some blockchain on there makes a lot of sense. Well, you have this underutilized asset. So maybe there, there is a use case for that. You've got underutilized assets, uh, like you said, Keith, but wouldn't the better long-term solution find a way to strip that fat out of you know your current consumption model instead of trying to mine cryptocurrency? And I think it's funny because this morning, just this morning, I was on the phone with my data center guy talking about that optimization, but because I can, I can, I'm, without getting the details of my business model, I can everything I have in my data center, I can put in public cloud and probably pay uh, 50% less than what I'm paying in my data center. But that doesn't fit my business model. Uh, but because of the business model, because I am stuck with the data center contract for the next year and a half, I have this sunk cost I have to optimize. And there's so much of this that the potential of Web3 can help solve, but it becomes super inefficient because the grifters come. And, you know, I kind of like, I look at it, I listened to your podcast uh, earlier in this week, I listened to it and I'm like, 
yeah, I just not. I, I don't want to get my I don't want to get my uh, hands dirty on any of that. that that's, and then at the end of it, what I found super ironic at the end of it, the the your guest said, and then in the day, the cloud providers are just going to provide this infrastructure for anybody looking to host a Web three instance. Google just hired is hiring a team of folks now, where you're just going to go through and just say, you know, give me a, a, a give me a, a Web three proof of work node blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't have to do any of the hard stuff that your guests talked about doing. So back in the day, when even earlier with the distributed stuff and with blockchain, one of the thoughts was, and this is where the idealists come in, if proof of work were actually proof of providing compute power for solving uh, a problem with cancer or solving some other issue of you know, what you, something you need simulation for to actually come up with something that solves a problem for the world. If that were a DAP, distributed app, that you could run and use to optimize, then you could theoretically also on your taxes, write it off because you have proof that you donated this time for an altruistic purpose. But that hasn't actually come to fruition as yet because financial houses don't care about that. <laughs> and actually, that's the world grid. Is So it exists? Yeah. The world grid has been around for probably 10 years. I've been part of it for a very long time. And that's exactly what it does is there are, you know, projects that are going after genetic mapping. There are others that are cancer prevention or cancer cure, um, poverty. They're all very humanistic and very altruistic. And yes, you can do any kind of donation, whether it's a PC or a server, an instance in a cloud, doesn't matter. The more there resources you, you put on, the faster and, they compute. Yep, and that, that sounds like something that Keith might be interested in, especially if it's a fairly straightforward way to put it onto his uh, hosted system. Yeah. Hosted. All right. Well, it's called the world grid. I'm gonna put, we have a couple Thank of people you. with hands up, and I was I was going to let, let us catch up on, on that. Mark, did you want to go first? And then Klaus and Joanna are, I think, behind you. Sure. Um, yeah, I wanted to, uh, I mean, this is really, um, maybe it maybe turns out to be a dumb question, but I wanted to ask everybody uh, um, to think about where we are with blockchain um, versus where we are with, uh, you know, where we were in 1800 with banking, where we were in the 90s and and aughts with electronic banking um again versus where we are today with blockchain blockchain literally as a consumable product is like days old as compared to other financial systems and contract systems um more money is stolen out of banks and through electronic transfer every day than the blockchain risks today now, blockchain isn't running all of our finances, so it's not a one-to-one -one ratio, but we still lose money out of banks and fake transactions and people 
people calling that sound like Rob and say, um, hey, Mark, uh, uh, Rob, I- I'm Rob, and I, I need you to transfer 50K to Rich because Rich did this work for me. And in reality, what I just did was authorize my CFO through someone else's fake voice to transfer 50 grand to the Cayman Islands. Um, you can't do that on a blockchain. Now, blockchain isn't perfect, but what I'm asking is, are we focusing more on just why it's fucked today when banking is still fucked? It's just getting less (laughs) fucked over time. People still put their their money in a fucking mattress. Banking is not perfect. Um, uh, It wasn't uh, that long ago when you could put your money in a bank and the only protection it offered was the fact that they had security and a giant vault. That was your protection for your money had nothing to do with anything else, no government protection or anything else. So um, it's a different set of questions than, you know, how much government will get involved, whether blockchain could in fact become a centralized uh, uh, problem statement as opposed to the decentralized solution it's supposed to become. But realistically, um, does what I'm saying make any sense in, in light of the fact that blockchain is literally a freaking baby? And we're expecting it to operate with the same kind of assurances and the same kind of government oversight and the same kind of um, uh, uh, you know, lack of fakery that we assume is true when we walk into a Bank of America and exchange some something for something. Well, to, to that, I would say, can we please mentally separate that there are cryptocurrencies, there are blockchains, and then there is distributed ledger technology, which is the same thing that I've said previously. And I think we have to look more toward the idea that, <clears throat> excuse me, from the platform perspective, there is DLT, which is quickly maturing. There are blockchains in three to four different tiers, which are maturing. And there are cryptos that are the level ones, the level twos, and very soon to be the level threes, which are more like utility tokens. So from that perspective, I think we have to be very careful to sort of separate those lines and look at where the technology is evolving and may be most innovative, which in my mind is at the DLT level, then the blockchain level itself, where you have proof of work, proof of stake, proof of history, all the consensus models are up for grabs. And the guy who or gal who figures out the next most innovative one, probably the one that will be the sustainable one, is likely to win out. And then that the cryptocurrencies themselves are evolving in a very different way because they are truly ecosystem plays. It's not just about the tokens being volatile and and the ability to transact. It's also the ecosystems that are being built around them with the application layers, the logic layers, the the extra security, all of that. And that's, I think, sort of how we have to look at this evolution, because when you have the big players, banks, credit card companies, governments, all coming in somewhere between the platform and the crypto and trying to establish themselves in those markets, that's 
going to change the game dramatically before the end of the year, as will legislation from different groups, whether it's EU-based or US-based or Canada-based, it doesn't matter. Those regulations are going to impact all of those ecosystems and all of those layers. The only one true one that we can hear is the DLT. I know we can deal with. A hundred percent, I agree with you, John. And, and this ties in, in with my opening statement, where where I try to make a clear separation between Web three and, and and blockchain. And, and, and I, I want to tie Web three to DLTs, but decouple it from blockchain, um, because one of the biggest downsides of blockchain is that it cannot forget. And and in in edge applications. You don't have the capacity to remember forever. You need to be able to forget, which is which is why I emphasize Edge. Edge works very well with DLT. It does not work with blockchain. Uh, and and as a result, I like as I was saying, like I I see Web three as being very very early, like in in its infancy. Uh, I see it being incredibly useful in, in edge applications. I do not see it being useful in its current iteration because it's in its current iter iteration, it tries too much to do too much with blockchain specifically. Uh, Is it useful for us to, uh, for the group to define exactly what we're uh, saying blockchain is? In relation to DLT and and some of the you know some of the existing coins, certainly, yeah. I mean, the the, the standard definition of blockchain is that the any new data that gets added builds on top of previously known data and verifies the previously known data. So, in in order to verify the latest block in a chain. You need to you need to have the full history of, of that chain. That that is the strength of the blockchain. That is also its weakness. I agree. The genesis, you know, and we've we've had this discussion before genesis about the genesis blocks. of data as well. It's the genesis of data that will dictate the um, how would I put it? Single version of truth, if you will of the blockchain, if it's blockchain. It also dictates the same for decentralized ledger. The originator of the data, the genesis of that data, and everything that's added onto it thereafter, I think is integral to Web3. And it will be translated probably within a year into what you see as metaverse. Because in the metaverse world, which is also part of Web3, the decentralization of those universes, and there will be many of them, you'll have to be able to cross universes, right? No matter whose metaverse you're playing in, you're going to have to be able to go from one to the other to actually have it be effective. And that genesis of the data and where it's registered originally will tie to your identity, will tie to privacy, will tie to everything that is part of decentralized ledger, including and not limited to the protocols, the network stack, the apps, anything that's related. That genesis has to be uh, uh, 
authorized and authenticated. I, I actually see that going the other way around, that the, the next evolution of decentralized ledger is going to be working with a movable genesis. So let's say I, I start with, with one genesis, genesis that's been that's universally accepted as true. As true. Uh, we build a, a, a chain on, on top of that. But at some point, we say any block that is a day old, I don't care about it anymore because I'm looking at recent data around around, around me. So I'm gonna sh I'm gonna move the genesis to the to the to a day old block that I've already accepted as being close enough to truth. And and and, and that is I think where the 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 big difference is going to be in, in future research that we're going to be looking not at absolute truth, but at, at good enough truth, eventually consistent data as opposed to always consistent. Because if you look at if we try to make something always consistent, there's going to be conflicts and it's going to be very hard to, to reconcile those. I like that definition. Uh, so what you're looking at is, um, especially for edge, is a ledger with a horizon. And how you actually, at this point, how you validate, verify the horizon is part of that ledger and not part of some other ledger or whatnot, but uh, some way to forget the old stuff and just say, uh, move the pointer to this point in the stack and then drop the rest of the stack. So, mm -hmm. but a horizon where you don't care about anything beyond a certain point so that there is not this huge history that you're lugging around. Yeah, the, the ability to forget. And good news, this is going to, to be GDPR compliant. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have a different opinion, Klaus, sorry. I, I, I think you're still going to have to keep, just to draw a parallel with the legal system, remember years ago, you couldn't walk into a court of law with an electronic document. You had to have a physical piece of paper. And I think it's going to take a very, very long time before you're not going to have to have the original, the genesis of the data as your proof point for your block. Eventually, yeah, I can see it going that way, but I think that's going to take a decade or more. You're still so, going to have to have something to trust, and that would be the original. No, I, we, I think we, we, we're, we're starting to to drift into different domains. Like uh, the, the, the domain that I see for, for this uh, uh, DLT, with, with, as Rocky said, with a horizon, it, it's, it's not going to be currencies. It's not going to be securities. It's going to be edge systems. Identity. No, not necessarily identity either. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at it more, especially as uh, emergent systems, like sensor networks, things like that where I, I need to know my current state, I need to know a couple of previous states, but I don't need to know what happened a day ago because that's way too far in, in the past and, and, and I don't have any reason to use that anymore. What, what you're looking at is, is more the, the, the current 
iteration and you're looking at, okay, how can it be refined? Which is also a very, very important application and we should also uh, review it. Oh, well, apropos to that comment and, and then I'll be quiet and let other people talk. Uh, I actually finally found, and they're an emerging company, um, hardware security embedded hardware for IIoT and for IoT. Somebody is actually building their own chips, embedding the security in it, and then using it for any kind of device or as that they're making in PLCs, but also as bolt-on technology to existing hardware. So I guess I'm not so crazy after all <laughs> that this is going to be the future. Um, and, and in vulnerability testing, outshines everything. You cannot break this stuff. They've, they've paid hackers, et cetera, et cetera. So they're um, out there. I'll put the name out there. Um, but I was quite impressed with the fact that they decided to become their own foundry and fab, make their own chips, and just do it that way because it was the safest way. And uh, some big aero and defense contractors are now using it. So they need to pay that professor in uh, Israel to see if he can actually break it. The guy who uses the yeah. transmissions off the chip and whatnot and does and changes layers slightly to uh, get them to broadcast and whatnot. Well, I, I was very surprised to actually see it being used. And uh, it's the first that I've seen for in the current world of IIoT. Haven't. Cool. How is how is this an improvement over TPMs? I mean, TPMs. I mean, I I worked on TPMs when I was at Hitachi. Um, yeah, they've been around like forever. They they already deliver all that functionality because they're easy to integrate. Because they're easy to collect data from in Hive, in MQTT, in whatever, whatever. All the protocols are there. Um, what I was so very enamored by was that the encryption, it's 256 and military grade encryption. And you can pretty much put, put the bolt on stuff onto anything, whether it's think of any piece of equipment, either on a shop floor, uh, an old PLC or an oven or whatever, but also integrated into the 5G gateways, into all of the network stack. It literally isolates in a way that I don't believe TPM is capable of. But if TPM is as ubiquitous as it really is and has never really been drawn upon, how... How do you counter that? I mean, the, the idea that something is bolted on is really, it's that bolting on and that interface between whatever is using. I agree. It. Yeah. I mean, that's, we, I mean, that's when, the weak spot. I mean, I mean, when, again, going back to my days at Hitachi, when we were doing, uh, you know, encrypted drives, right? Yeah. Right. Everybody yeah. thinks this is a fantastic idea, right? But the idea that, you know, the moment it costs a dollar more, nobody buys them. And even when people bought them, they never bought the, you know, they bought the chipsets. They, they were, they were there for use. 
I mean, how much TPM is out there that never even touched? Not, Almost not, all of I, it. I totally agree cost. with you. Right. I mean, I mean, I, I can guarantee you there's a TPM module in, in, in every single laptop that you, that, you know, yeah, that, you, exactly. that, that, that you, that you have bought in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're not using it. I mean, some of this question is, not, why is are you not, not using it? It's, it's not the security is so to me, and, and we need to wrap up because we're at the top of the hour, yeah. but a lot of this is operational challenges. It's not whether or not the tech, the, there's, there's plenty good enough tech that we don't use because of, we have operational challenges around. I mean, that secure boot, I, I could go like it, data it, centers. We could have so much better. It and gets it's, to the same thing that you've just described, which is operational and administrative complexity that, you know, the ops folks, for one reason or another, are just not willing to invest in. Wow, if you're thinking a Web3 wasn't reshaped by uh, this, then I want to know why not. I want to know what we're missing. Um, please join us at the 2030.cloud. Be part of these conversations. We're going to keep going back to DLT and Web3 and how all these systems connect together. And I'm hoping you will be part of those discussions. I'll see you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.